Hello and welcome to a Sunday, March 13th edition of the Sports Ethos DFS Today podcast. I'm your host, Harris Kermani, and today we get to break down another altogether eight-game slate, which really ends up becoming seven, split into two. An early slate in which we have three games, we get our orphaned 6 p.m. game, as it seems to be every Sunday nowadays, and then finally we get to go ahead and close off with a four-game 7 p.m. slate, both of which are full of great tournament prizes, full of great lineups, and full of great value, so let's get right into it. But before we do, as always, a shout out to our sponsor, Thrive Fantasy, which is, if you're not aware at this moment, is the number one daily sports prop betting site with over 6 million in prizes given out. All you have to do is go ahead, sign up and pick from a list of players playing on that day to decide whether they will be over or under different statistical measures that have been put into place for them. And as a loyal listener of the Sports Ethos DFS Today podcast, if you use the promo code ETHOS, E-T-H-O-S, you will get a 100% deposit match up to $100. So definitely get right on that, sign up and prop up today. But jumping right into our early slate, which starts off with our 1 p.m., which daylight savings wise is an hour ahead today, right? Every time it always gets me. But the New York Knicks coming up against the Brooklyn Nets in yet another one of those rivalry games being played at home in Brooklyn. We have a 226.5 game total for it with a spread of Brooklyn being favored to win by six. Starting off with the New York Knicks, as far as their injury report is concerned, we know Derek Rose, Quentin Grimes, Cam Reddish, Nerlens Noel, and Kemba Walker continue to be out as far as the relevant players are concerned, and Obi Toppin is also seeing himself as questionable for the game, though he only really plays about 15 minutes when healthy, so not the biggest impact. As far as the actual lineup for the New York Knicks are concerned, Really, it's going to be much of the same tale that we've seen here. In the first of all, in this three-game slate, this is the highest game total of the night. So by definition, there should be a little bit more exposure into it. But really, as far as the Knicks are concerned, I'm really only interested ever in the mid-tier guys that they have over here. So by and large, even though Julius Randle is coming off an absolutely monster game against the Memphis Grizzlies, 69 in that one. And frankly, two out of his last three games have been excellent. Don't get me wrong. It's just, given the slate, given the opportunities that I have there, I just rarely find myself landing on him. And as much as he could have another good game over here against the Brooklyn Nets, and he has in the two games that he has played, don't get me wrong, 53 DK points on average. Just based on where I'm ending up lining up, I'm not seeing too, too much of him in my lineup, so I wouldn't fault you for taking him there. I would rather spend a little bit and get on some of that mid-tier range. First and foremost, Mitchell Robinson, who, as we know, has been an absolute enigma. Don't get me wrong as far as DFS is concerned, but is now on four straight solid games. We'll count out that Sacramento one, which was two minutes. He didn't play much in there. But in the four games that he has gone ahead and played, he's dropped two games of over 50 DFS points and 
two others which are over 32 as well. So just a great floor that he's finding himself in. His stock numbers just continue to be staggering, averaging nearly three blocks a game in that time and averaging nearly three steals a game in that time as well. And when you combine that with the fact that he'll always be in the mix to get double-digit rebounds, there's just a lot to like for that price tag. And with the dearth of big men that I actually like in this lineup, I'm actually finding myself really enamored with Mitchell Robinson here. So at 5,700, he's definitely in play for me. And Alec Burks as well. At 5,800, he's just been the epitome of consistency now that he's got his minute situation all carved up and set to go. Nothing lower than 35 minutes in his last three games. And apart from one game where he dropped 21, he's been consistently in that mid-30s as far as DK points are concerned. Of the last five games, hasn't had a game less than 34 there, apart from that one dud. And he's gotten up to the heights of about 41 as well. So you know you've got a pretty solid range in which you'll be able to get him. His usage is pretty well in tow. He's getting double-digit shot attempts. He's getting anywhere between five to eight three-point attempts as well. Just gives you a lot to like, given the fact that he is getting more ball-handling responsibility. 5,800, definitely in play for me. And otherwise, Emmanuel quickly as well. He's one of those who is probably a little bit more of a dart throw and at 4,900, it's not the most exciting pick for me, but we know that he has the capability to be able to turn a slate if he can get hot. As we saw in the two games on the 6th and 7th of March where he got ahead and hit up 47 and 43 as far as his DK points are concerned. And just given the fact that his minutes are now at pretty much 31 on lock, means that even if he has a bad game, which means 20 to 25 DK points, that's still not going to kill you as far as his price tag is concerned. So definitely keep him in mind as well. R.J. Barrett, you'll notice I haven't mentioned as of yet, it's because he's just right appropriately priced as far as I'm concerned. You've got a pretty good spot here in which he'll, with his usage, with everything else that comes with him, even though his ancillary stats are never the greatest, he'll usually grab you enough rebounds to go alongside everything else, where you can feel pretty confident that he'll drop somewhere between 35 to 39 on most nights. And yeah, at 7,600, that's nothing to get mad about. You know, you're obviously hoping he can do that a little bit more, which he has in the odd games over here. But it's just not a matchup that I'm all that enamored with as far as he is concerned. He's going to be seeing a lot more of that wing defense. You're going to get a little bit more Kevin Durant on him. You'll get you know, a little bit more of that Bruce Brown. Just not as excited to be able to go ahead and take him versus some of the other options that we have available. Moving on to Brooklyn themselves. As far as their injury report's concerned, we know with this being a home game for them, Kyrie is continuing to sit out, though he is going to be in the audience. So I suppose that's a start towards something, hoping that Kyrie will eventually be able to play in Brooklyn. Maybe by the time the playoffs come around, we'll see how the mandates work themselves out. We've got Ben Simmons still being out. LaMarcus Aldridge, who Steve Nash just said could be looking at another week on the shelf. He's been listed out as well. Joe Harris, as we know, is gone for the entire season. And the rest of them are the irrelevant fringe guys on their roster. As far as the main players to look at on Brooklyn, it starts and ends with Kevin Durant. Plain and simple, any situation in which you know he is going to be in a high-stakes game, in a high-usage game, and... Given the fact that he didn't have a great game against New York the first time around, you know he's one of those guys that will be looking to get himself right on that circle, that matchup. This is always a big rivalry game, regardless of how things are. Kevin Durant at 10,800 is going to be my favorite stud on this early three-game slate. Coming off a great game against Philly as well. Dropped 59 in that one. 
Obviously, that was a different kind of scenario from a personal standpoint. He was definitely looking to stamp his authority there. But I expect him to do much of the same over here as well. Just continue to show that Brooklyn is the superior team in the region. And at 10,800, with no Kyrie, with no Ben Simmons, with no LaMarcus, just all that usage is going to filter right over to Kevin Durant. I expect him to be in the mid-20s as far as shots are concerned. And with him likely handling the ball that little bit more as well, with only really one traditional point guard on their roster at the moment, this is a great spot to be able to go ahead and look at Kevin Durant. Otherwise, Seth Curry is definitely another one of great interest for me. Not only does he have that small forward eligibility, which gives you that little bit more versatility, he's coming off a great game against Philly as well. But again, in those games where Kyrie is out, he gets the opportunity to be a greater ball handler, a greater point guard for them, which means that his assist total is likely going to take a bit of a jump as well. We've seen him get up to that 5-6 assist mark when Kyrie is out. Uh, a good example of that is that Toronto game where he dropped 32 DK points there as well, being more of that point guard, getting up to you know, mid-teens as far as shots are concerned, which is exactly where you want him to be, considering you know that he's going to be dropping about half of those from deep as well. So that makes things pretty exciting to be able to get another pretty decent game out of Seth Curry. I expect him to get somewhere into the 30s as far as his DK points are concerned. And at 5,300, that's just a great spot for me to be able to go ahead and jump in on him. And the other side continues to be what I've been saying about Bruce Brown. I think at 5,100, it's just a solid, solid pick to be able to take on any given night. Not necessarily the sexiest one out there, but you know his role is going to be absolutely secure. He's going to be required to defend Likely a lot of R.J. Barrett in this one, alongside just getting on that short roll that he's just so famous for at this point. Beyond that, with LaMarcus Aldridge being out, James Johnson always is the guy that I'm interested in. He's just one of those you know you could get a dud game out of him, but if he can get to that mid-20s as far as his minutes are concerned, he'll usually get you his value back just because he's always looking to be involved in the game, whether it be from a defensive statistics standpoint. I, mean, I don't expect him to get five blocks the way he did against Philly, but he's usually good for you know one block, one steal in most of these scenarios where he's gotten more minutes, and that usually brings with it more rebounding as well. As we said, Brooklyn is missing a... As far as you know, Lamarcus is concerned, their front court and outside of Andre Drummond, who's never really going to be playing more than say 24 to 25 minutes in a game, you're going to need some of that support coming through. And James Johnson provides that in spades. So definitely a guy to keep an eye out on here. And then Goran Dragic, who's likely just going to become that same kind of guy that he has in the other games without Kyrie, will get himself to six to seven assists. Probably play between 25 to 28 minutes. Never really going to be huge as far as field goal attempts are concerned, but Again, if you're looking for a guy to round out your roster, should be able to hit 5 to 5.5x without much trouble. Dragic is your guy. Moving on to the Clippers versus Detroit game. This one is coming in at a 217.5 game total with the Clippers favored to win by 4.5. As far as the injury report for the Clippers is concerned... The usual suspects continue to remain out. Kawhi, Paul George, Norman Powell... Harry Giles, Jay Scrub, all those other ones. But Robert Covington as well continues to be out with a personal matter. This is his fourth straight game there, which means that we're going to get to see a few more minutes for a couple of guys that I am interested in as far as the Clippers are concerned. Now, Reggie Jackson, who, as you all know, I love taking usually as far as uh, DFS is concerned, is just, just too expensive, man. I'm going to have to take this on the chin, even though he had a 49 game against Washington. 
and even got close to 40 against Atlanta as well. It's just not a price tag that I like taking him at. This is pretty much his ceiling, and to take him at that is a bit of a fool's errand for me, even though Detroit is not great at all with regards to defending opposing point guards. Zubats is the interesting spot here for me. I was coming off a monster 52-point game over there. Detroit, as far as their front court is, front court is concerned, is going to have good bit of struggle being able to contain Zubats and he did himself drop 34 TK points on him last time around as well. My only concern is his price tag. At 6200 you're pretty much hoping that he can keep that level of consistency going and considering I spoke about Mitchell Robinson a little bit earlier, at 5700 I'm probably more interested in taking him rather than Zubats, but Zubats is definitely in play, likely in a scenario where he should be able to get anywhere between 25 to 28 minutes here as well. Got up to 36 in that Atlanta game, and we'll have to see if they look to play him that little bit more, though with Detroit not having as much size on their end, we might see that Zubats is getting off the floor a little bit more in favor of a smaller ball lineup. And we have to remember Marcus Morris also got himself ejected in that last game as well. So that just required them to go a little bit bigger by default. So don't chase too much on the minutes there as well as that DK points total, but he is still a solid pick. Speaking of solid pick though, all those 4,000 guys that are sitting there as far as the Clippers are concerned are all very much in play as far as solid value is concerned. We'll start from the bottom with Amir Coffey at 3,800, played 36 minutes in the last game. Yes, he didn't get his shots total up, but we have seen Coffey be a pretty productive DFS player earlier in January when he was getting same kind of minutes, but with just a couple more shots, which I could see coming his way because he is a solid offensive player, gives them that little bit of a release valve, and they could use all the offense they could get. And that's going to come as well from both Luke Kennard and Nicholas Batum, both of which saw 30-plus minutes in the last two games for them, especially with Covington and a number of these other main guys out. They are going to be playing that little bit more. I probably like Kennard more than I like Batum. Not only is he $600 cheaper, but he's likely to shoot more, especially from downtown, which gives him that opportunity to be able to get to that mid-20s as far as his DK points are concerned more frequently and more simply than a Nicholas Batum who will likely do that with more of a rounded stat line. You know, a couple of rebounds, a couple of assists, the odd stock there. And of course, he does get his shots up from downtown, just not to the same level of volume that Luke Kennard will get. Moving now then on to the Detroit side of things, which with Isaiah Stewart, Hamido Diallo, Killian Hayes questionable, Frank Jackson, Chris Smith, and Magruder, all of them out. You get the usual suspects again as far as their lineups are concerned. And really... The only guy I've continued to trust on an ongoing basis as far as Detroit is concerned has been Kate Cunningham, who, regardless of his efficiency issues, which have been very well documented at this point out of his last five games, only one of them has he gotten above the 50% mark, but that has not stopped him from shooting 20 or more field goal attempts in four out of those last five games as well. So it's going to be the thing that you see as far as Cunningham is concerned, they're just going to keep force-feeding him, keep continuing to increase that usage, and all the rest of his ancillary stats continue to bump up as well. It just gives him one of the more solid floors as far as a rookie is concerned, while giving you that upside that even if he hits a couple more of the shots, either on the floor in general or from downtown, he can unlock that 50 DK point upside for him as well. So... He's definitely the guy I like most as far as Detroit's concerned, as long as he stays below that 8000 price tag. He's definitely someone that I'm going to be taking most nights. And if you're looking for a little bit more 
potential solidity. We saw that Jeremy Grant got himself back on track against Boston and playing 38 minutes there, got 17 shots up. And neither of these guys are all that efficient as far as scoring is concerned, but it's all about volume for them. And it's all about volume for Detroit. I expect this to be a pretty decently paced matchup as well. I mean, the 217.5 points total is not in comparison to the Knicks and Nets one, but you've got less guys here that could potentially be taking up that usage to be able to get there. So Grant, Cunningham definitely in play. And the wild card in all of this, and it's going to be the guy that I'm going to be focusing in on pretty heavily, is Marvin Bagley. Jumped into the starting lineup, 34 minutes in the last game, dropped 38 DK points in that, 15 field goal attempts, has gotten double-digit rebounds in two out of his last three games, and in general is finding himself in a very comfortable role, especially with Kelly Olenek pretty much out of the rotation at this point, only playing about 12 minutes, Hamido Diallo continuing to be out, which means that they're going to need that little bit more coming from that Marvin Bagley side of things, especially if they're going to be running more Zubats on the other side as well. A little bit of size to be able to contend against that. Marvin Bagley would likely be the main guy that they end up throwing at Zubats to be able to go ahead and deal with it. So at 5,600, Huge, huge play here for me. I believe there is a lot of upside to be able to go ahead and take, but that's really going to be about it. Our final game of the early slate is going to be Dallas taking on Boston. Dallas and Boston coming in at a 212 and a half game total, which is the lowest of the first three. And as far as spread is concerned, Boston is slated to win by seven and a half points. So also the biggest spread as far as points are concerned between the two teams so definitely something to keep an eye out with but the good thing is neither of these are all that huge as far as spreads are concerned so less of a concern as far as blowouts are there but it is something to keep in mind starting off with dallas we've got a number of guys that are out here and we've got a number of guys that are questionable so a lot to potentially think about with regards to dallas's rotation as far as players confirmed to be out we got reggie bullock Tim Hardaway, Marquise Chris, and then the rest of the fringe. But the interest comes in with both Jalen Brunson and Dorian Finney-Smith listed as questionable for this game. We saw how the rotation shook out on the last game with a couple of these fringe players for Dallas, as far as the 4,000 range are concerned, really jumping up as far as minutes are concerned. And that's going to be where I'm going to start over here, because if... We do see that Finney-Smith, for instance, is ruled out. Josh Green absolutely jumps right back into play there for me. Got the start last game, got 36 minutes in that game. And even though he only shot 10 times, the fact that he was able to rack up six stocks, two steals or four steals, two blocks, alongside six rebounds just gives him so much room to be able to play around with if his minutes are going to be anywhere close to what they were last time in. If Finney Smith is out, that is absolutely going to be required. So you definitely want to keep that little bit of a buffer for yourself using a Josh Green in one of your either forward or utility slots where if you find that you know, things aren't working out, you could probably swap uh, you could swap them out into something else here. But it's definitely something that you want to keep an eye out over here. Hopefully we'll get the news uh, before, let's say, that Clippers and Detroit game goes off. That would be the best case scenario because then if Finney Smith is out, you can keep Josh Green in. If he's not, then you could look at someone like a Luke Kennard and Amir Coffey. Uh, even the uh, uh, even on the uh, Detroit side, there's a couple of guys at the back there, you know, Saban Lee, that you could potentially look at being 
in as far as your lineup's concerned versus uh, a Josh Green, who otherwise becomes an absolute lock for me if Finney Smith is ruled out. And that same scenario extends out to Spencer Dinwiddie as well. Saw him get all the way up to 33 minutes with 13 shots attempted, 36 DK points as well. We know his usage is going to go up to another level as long as Jalen Brunson continues to remain out as well. Now, the questionable thigh, we'll have to see if he actually goes ahead and sits out. He has missed two out of the last three games. And if I was to absolutely guess, I'd say he'd probably sit this game out as well. But again, we'll have to wait and see on that. That definitely keeps Spencer Dinwiddie in play. Luca, there's really not much to say with regards to it. At 12,200, I am personally avoiding him, uh, given that I'm likely going to look to spend up on a Kevin Durant as well. And and you have Cade, and you have a couple of the other guys that I would rather spend up on as far as mid-tiers are concerned. And then there's a guy on the Boston side that I would also rather spend up on for his price tag rather than going all in on a 12200 Luka Doncic. But as always, could never fault you for going ahead and taking that. He could be the guy you choose to build your lineup around if you want to fade from a Kevin Durant, if you want to fade from a Jason Tatum perhaps and instead go into Luka Doncic on the matchup. But again, slower pace matchup. In the night, Luka himself has never been amazing as far as going up against Boston. Did have a pretty decent game against them the first time around. But as we know, Boston is an incredibly pesky defensive team. They will throw everything they can out on Luka. And given the fact that he'll have less outlets if Jalen Brunson is out, if Finney Smith is out, Reggie Bullock is out, all these guys that would help take a little bit of that pressure and that shooting pressure away from Luka. Without that there, that makes things a little bit more difficult for him. So... Yeah, I doubt I'll see too much of Luca on my lineups here. I'll take that on the chin, and we'll see how things end up working out. Moving on to the Boston side, we're seeing, as far as their injury report's concerned, they're pretty much good to go. It's really just Aaron Neesmith that has been ruled out for the matchup and could be out for a while, but yeah, not much impact there as far as DFS is concerned. For Boston, it really starts from the top. And as I mentioned earlier, Jason Tatum is a guy that I absolutely love in this matchup. Not only has he done consistently well against Dallas, against Luka Doncic, but his price tag gives me that little bit of room to be able to work with some of the mid-tiers that I'm looking at otherwise and have mentioned before. He's coming in absolutely hot, hasn't had a bad game in the last five games here, and even his dud games will still be around that 40 DK points mark. So it's just a great spot to be able to take him. His shooting numbers are absolutely awesome at the moment. He's over 50% in his last five games. And even though his outside shot has been a little bit iffy, he still found himself taking anywhere between seven to 10 of them consistently. So even if he hits three or four of those, that gets you in a great spot to be able to go ahead and enjoy the rest of his rounded stat line. And I've always liked him more than a Jalen Brown, and I'll continue to do that as much as Jalen Brown can have those odd games where he gets into the 40s. is just never a guy much like R.J. Barrett that I find myself landing on. I just don't like too much of the ancillary stats that he ends up offering. Usually isn't this most uh, supremely efficient as well, given the fact that he's either going to be efficient and not shoot in a high volume, or he's going to be shooting in a high volume and not be efficient. So all in all, it just comes to a point where there's just at a near 8,000 price tag, not enough upside for me to like him. In general, I always find myself going down a little bit and taking a Mark Smart instead, who pretty much at his 6,000 price tag can put up the same kind of stat lines that Jalen Brown does, but without the price tag and 
plain and simple has the same lack of conscience when it comes to shooting. He'll find himself shooting anywhere between 10 to 15 shots a game. Got 41 in that last game against Detroit as well. Is coming off a game against Dallas in which he didn't do all that great, but didn't shoot all that much in that one either. But by and large, Marcus Smart is always my favorite as far as Boston's concerned in terms of that mid-tier price range. And Really, that's where I'm going to stick with. You know, as much as Robert Williams is also you know, a solid, solid pick on a consistent basis, I would much rather take a Mitchell Robinson for his price or even uh, look at uh, Jeremy Grant for 6000 All of those a little bit cheaper with that center eligibility than going up to 6800 for Robert Williams. And that extends out to the rest of these guys as well. I just don't trust the remainder of the rotation. Derek White's minutes continue to be up and down. He's either sitting at low 20s or he gets into the early 30s. And it's not really worth guessing which game he's going to get his normal allotment of minutes. And the same kind of thing goes with Al Horford and his usage. There's just too much of a guessing game there for me to like uh, taking him at any sort of a consistent price tag, even though 5,700 is a pretty good spot for him to be able to do relatively well. So that's the end of the morning slate over here as far as the tier list is concerned for it. I'm going to start with the expensive side of things, which, as I said, the highest scoring game, the one with the spread that will allow Kevin Durant to be just as involved as you want him to be with the rest of his guys out at 10,800. I just think that is an absolute smash spot for him to just kill it he's going to be in a matchup here where he's going to once again be looking to stamp his authority as he said before 10,800 with more usage with Kyrie out it's just a great spot to be able to take him and he is my favorite expensive guy as far as mid-tier is concerned you said there's a couple of guys in that 5,000 range that are really exciting to take we spoke about Mitchell Robinson we spoke about Alec Burks Uh, we even spoke about Spencer Dinwiddie Marcus Smart Jeremy Grant all of them are absolutely solid in that middle range but to me Marvin Bagley at 5600 is going to be the guy that I'll find myself with the most stock of He's just found himself in a great spot as far as his rotation is concerned. His minutes are up in the 30s. They're going to need him more in a matchup where they're going to have a little bit more size on the Clippers side with Zubac trying to come at them, with Hartenstein trying to do a little bit more as well. And Bagley is just going to have to basically clean up on the boards and continue to be involved with the offense. So at 5,600, I think there's a lot of upside for him to get somewhere near that 40 DK points mark, making him my favorite mid-tier pick. As far as value is concerned. Now, this is where I'll give a little bit of a caveat. If Finney Smith is ruled out, then Josh Green becomes my favorite value pick. Otherwise, in a normal situation, I'm going to say James Johnson at 3,900 is going to be my favorite value pick. With LaMarcus Aldridge out, we're going to see him play more of those minutes, continue to get more opportunities to not only grab his boards, but rack up his stocks as well. His price tag makes it so that there's really not much downside with him not being able to go ahead and hit 5x and We know that if he can get even a little bit going on the offensive end, he can easily get into the 30s as well. So that makes things that little bit more interesting for me as far as they are concerned. That brings us to the end of the morning slate, and we will go into the 7 p.m. main slate. The evening slate brings us with four games, starting off with Indiana and Atlanta. With that one being the highest game total of the night, we'll have a 237 game total for that one. Pacers going into the Atlanta Hawks building, and the Atlanta Hawks are favored to win by 12. Now, as you'll see, there's a couple of matchups in this this slate that do have that double-digit point spread, so 
something to keep in mind when you are looking on who it is that you want to spend up with. Starting with Indiana, as far as their injury report is concerned, we know that Malcolm Brogdon is not going to be playing this entire weekend, so he continues to be out. Miles Turner is out. Lance Stevenson was listed questionable. He was ruled out for Saturday. We'll have to see what happens for the Sunday itself. Uh, TJ McConnell, Ricky Rubio, TJ Warren, all of them continue to remain out. As far as on the Indiana side, these guys are all pretty appropriately priced. To be honest, uh, Tyrese Halliburton at 9000 is going to be in a spot where he gets more of that usage with Malcolm Brogdon out. will likely be able to get to double-digit assists as far as his stat line is concerned, and he's likely going to be able to get into the mid-teens as far as his shot attempts are concerned. Gives him a pretty solid floor to be able to get into that 40s mark, but Really, at 9,000, it's probably better options that I'd be a little bit more interested in, given uh, some of the other upsides that those players offer. At 9,000, I don't believe the upside is necessarily there for Tyrese Halliburton to be able to get into the big 50s kind of game, especially given the uh, points total spread that we're seeing over here. So not definitely where I'm looking into it, though he's def- though he is overall in play. Chris Duarte, though, if Lance Stevenson is ruled out, saw himself get into the starting lineup, got 34 minutes, got himself up to 27.5 DK points, and at 4,800, that is likely going to be the main area of exposure here for me. It's just going to be a spot in which Duarte, for all Indiana's looking for, they just need more and more of Duarte and more development for all these young guys that they're looking for towards into the future. He's going to be a key piece for them as far as their future is concerned and just in a very steady role as far as his entire situation is concerned. So at 4,800, definitely see a very solid floor to be able to get to 5X. We know that if he can get hot offensively, as he showed not only earlier in the season, but over the last little bit as well since the trade deadline, Duarte, as long as he's healthy, he will give you the upside to be able to get into the 30s as well. And if you're looking into a dart throw type of situation, especially if the game is to get out of hand, we may see a little bit more minutes for Goga Batase as well, who is always sitting around that 20 mark. Maybe if things go out of hand, he can get to 25. And if that's the case, he's absolutely going to smash his value over here. He's actually coming off three straight games in which he has 28 or higher DK points with 35 being the ceiling there as well. So yeah, not the most lock and load player to be able to get, but as a GPP dart, definitely someone to keep in mind. And beyond that, I'm avoiding the rest of these Indiana Pacers on this matchup. Moving on to the Atlanta side of things, as far as their injury reports concerned, it's not something we've said all year, but they do by and large look good to go other than John Collins being listed questionable with his uh, both finger sprain and foot sprain. We're going to have to find out whether he does, in fact, end up sitting out for this game. But at 10,100, Trey Young is in a spot where even if he doesn't end up playing all that many minutes, just given how things are looking as far as the spread's concerned, if that spread is to take place, is because Trey Young has gone off. And this has been a matchup he has consistently gone off in. In the two games that he's played this season against Indiana, he's at nearly 60 DK points and just continues to be a offensive firepower on his end as well. Just finding more ways to get involved just continues to be just dominant. And the fact that his shooting numbers are starting to come around as well when he was hitting that little bit of a slump against Washington and Detroit, which was keeping his value down, 
he got himself back on track against Milwaukee, against Clippers, both of which are going to be tougher matchups, let's say, than this Indiana one here. So I do expect him to have a great one over here. He's going to be in my player pool. He's probably going to be one of the top stud options that I am looking at over here in comparison to some of the other ones that we'll see down the road. Beyond that, the only other place that I may have a little bit of interest is going to be in that uh, Danilo Gallinari spot. Assuming that John Collins does end up sitting out, if that does happen, then Gallinari likely gets himself back into his minus total somewhere in the 30s, which gives him a lot of upside at 4,500, given the fact that he is a pretty talented offensive player. will get up to 12 to 13 shots in that time, likely six to seven of them being from downtown. And he's usually relatively efficient from those spots, as long as he's going ahead and getting his opportunities to be able to put it up. So definitely in play there for me. And beyond that, I am avoiding the rest of the Atlanta Hawks. Moving on to the second game of the night, and this is going to be the other big spread one. We have Memphis going up against the Oklahoma City Thunder in a 228 game total night. Memphis favored to win by 13 and a half. So the largest spread of the night over here. As far as the Memphis side are concerned, uh, their injury report The interest is that uh, Dylan Brooks has been listed as questionable. He is expected to return at some point during this four-game road trip. We don't know when he is going to be back. But in this case, he's likely, even if he does come back, going to be in a minutes limit situation, which really doesn't necessarily affect him, but it does affect some of the other decisions that we may potentially be making on some of these fringe guys as far as Memphis are concerned. Because beyond that, you know that things start and end with John Morant, who... At 10,400 in this kind of a matchup, likely one that I'll end up looking to take on the chin. I think there's other uh, stud options that I would rather end up spending up on just in a more, let's just say, consistent situation in which they're not in a double-digit point spread and may potentially be playing that little bit more. Just don't know if Morant is going to be needed to play anything more than 28 minutes here to be able to go ahead and get himself in and Memphis a win. So not not super, super excited to be able to take him at 10,400. I wouldn't fault you for doing so because he could very well absolutely go off in those 20 minutes to be able to get himself up to somewhere near his value. But I would just rather take a little bit more of a safer stab at some of these middle options as far as Memphis are concerned. And as I've consistently found myself saying, I just love these 6,000 options for Memphis. I just think there's so much upside that comes with them. And just given the fact that on some games they happen to not do super well, just based on the fact that either Memphis is killing an opposition or John Morant is absolutely going off, which kind of takes away the usage from the rest of these guys. It keeps their price tag in a spot where for GPPs are absolutely perfect. So whether that be a Jaron Jackson, whether it be a Desmond Bain, whether it be a Steven Adams, all of these players are in a position where They don't necessarily need to be playing 30 minutes, regardless of matchup, to be able to go ahead and hit that value pretty consistently here. Between those three, I'd say Jaron Jackson continues to have the greatest upside, coming off a five-block game, has eight blocks, actually, in his last two games altogether. And really, it's just a matter of him getting the rest of his offense going. His personal fouls continue to be an issue. He's got five, four, five personal fouls in his last three games, and that continues to keep his minutes total down. So it's always going to be something that you are gambling with as far as Jaron Jackson's concerned, but his upside is never to be denied. And if he happens to get himself going the way that he has 
against OKC, for instance, has had 35 DK points in the two games that he's played against them, only in 27 minutes a game. So really, that's where we're at as far as Memphis is concerned. It's whether you're willing to uh, take that gamble on this game not being as crazy as we potentially hope. And with OKC having... You know, a, a certain point guard on their end, also highly priced, who I will speak about. If he can keep it close, then this could be something that's a little bit more interesting to be able to go into. But beyond that, I am avoiding most of these Memphis Grizzlies. On the OKC side, uh, with the injury report, we know that Josh Giddy, Lou Dort continue to be out for who knows how long over here. A Trey man who didn't go through practice is listed as questionable, did sit out on Wednesday. I could very well see him sitting out over here again. And then the rest of their regular rotation guys still be are still around with the, with the rest of Kenrich Williams, Ty Jerome also being out. So really it starts and ends with Shea Gilgis-Alexander as far as his price tag is concerned. I Much like the John Morant situation, I'll probably end up avoiding that. I would just rather, in these kind of blowout matchups, look into the mid-tier. And it's Isaiah Roby that I found myself consistently jumping in on, given his minutes total, given how much more usage he's getting, and frankly, given how he is going to be important for what they're looking to do with their rest of their front court being pretty beleaguered. So at Roby, 5,700, he's going to be one of the main guys that I look at. I do believe he has a great spot for the rest of the season. And as long as he's sitting at 6,000 or less, I'm taking him most nights here. And that's going to be the case in this one as well. And if you're feeling a little bit frisky, then you know that uh, someone like a Pokushevsky is always going to be someone to keep in mind. For him, it's all about the minutes total as well. I only got 17 in that last one, but before that, he had been consistently sitting in that 29 to 30 uh, minutes range, which had allowed him to be pretty solid as far as his price tag is concerned. 35, 26, 36, 28, all of that kind of in that range that you're looking for as far as 5x is concerned for him. Again, not the most exciting of matchups to be able to take, but again, given the fact that we're seeing these high points totals overall, I mean, someone's got to go ahead and get that usage in. Given how much they're missing as far as their roster is concerned, I do expect that they should get these guys up to some sort of semblance of normalcy with regards to minutes. So we'll have to see how that goes. But all these mid-tier guys for OKC are definitely in play as far as GPP is concerned. Moving on to the Houston and New Orleans Pelicans game, which is going to be our third game of the night. This one also comes in at a 231.5 game total, so yet again, a high-paced game, with the Pelicans favored to win this one by 7. As far as the Houston Rockets are concerned, their injury report is looking pretty similar to what we've seen for the vast majority of the last little bit. It's really just you know, John Wall is out and Usman Garuba continues to be out. The rest of their rotation remains normal. And really, Houston has been a little bit of a surprise as of late. They've been playing well, not necessarily racking up the wins in, in the ways that uh, they're maybe hoping for sometime in the future. But their roles are all pretty solid and everyone is playing their role pretty well, which has meant that these price tags are in a pretty good spot overall. Really, the, the trifecta of Sangoon, Porter Jr., and Jalen Green, who is, again, going to be my favorite of the three, are where I've spent most of my time as far as Houston is concerned. We know Kevin Porter is one of those guys that can absolutely go off for that 6000 price tag. To me, he's the perfect GPP kind of play for me because if he can continue to be in that 6000 to 6700 which is what he is now, range, you know that he has the upside to be able to drop 40 
And yes, he can have his dud games in which he'll get you know, somewhere in the 20s, which can be annoying. But as of late, he's found himself on the right side of that coin. Four out of the last five games have been above 30, two of them into 40. And even his quote-unquote bad one was 29 and a half on there. So I'm liking uh, him in general more as of late. Not as much as I'm liking Jalen Green in general, who's just been showing more and more development as far as his offensive uh, capabilities are concerned. And we talk about all the time. I'm on this train. I'm on this Jalen Green train. Absolutely. His shot attempts are just continuously going to be there in the mid-teens all the way up to 20, which just gives him so much upside to be able to absolutely hit any of these price tags that he has below 6,000. So I'm just going to continue riding that. By and large, it has not steered me wrong so far. Of the last seven games that he's played, there's only been two games in which he's had uh, 25 or less. And even those are you know, not killing you for the fact that his price tag is in such a good spot. So continue to ride that Jalen Green train until he gets priced out. He's almost become my new uh, Reggie Jackson, who I would just keep riding until he got up into his 7,000s. And now I avoid by and large. But hey, it is what it is. Sengun, on the other hand, Got 20 minutes in the last game, which we know would happen once Christian Wood uh, got back on the floor. It means I'm avoiding that situation altogether. As much as I'd love for Sangoon to be absolutely unleashed, play the kind of minutes that, honestly, he should be playing, given everything else. But with Christian Wood back, that takes a little bit of that shine off. And I've just avoided Dennis Schroeder in general, by and large. As much as he can have the odd game where he can get into the 30s as far as DK points are concerned, with the rise of Jalen Green and with Kevin Porter continuing to get himself back on his regular track, that's taken away much of the shine from Dennis Schroeder, and I am going ahead and avoiding him. Moving on to the New Orleans Pelicans side of things, as far as their injury report is concerned, there are a couple of guys that you're going to have to go ahead and deal with. CJ McCollum, who continues to be out with the health and safety protocols, is likely going to be uh, not playing on this Sunday as well. In fact, I believe he has been ruled out, though we'll get the final confirmation of that. Uh, we know Brandon Ingram continues to be out with his hamstring strain. Uh, he's going to be reevaluated in about 7 to 10 days, so he is out. Larry Nance is out. Zion Williamson is out. And Kira Lewis is out. So really, that's much of the major strength of the New Orleans Pelicans sitting out here, which means that we're going to see the rest of these guys come out to the fore. And with Houston running that Christian Wood lineup with Sangoon, that little bit more size, Jonas Valanciunas is absolutely going to be a guy that I am looking to target in the matchup. Again, 8,300 isn't necessarily the sexiest of price tags, not where I'd always want to be looking to jump in on him. But with uh, the rest of the offense really taking a bit of a backseat, it's going to be Valanciunas who's going to be required to be further involved with the offense over here. I believe he's got all of that in his bag to be able to take advantage of a Houston Rockets defense, which is ranked 30th in defending opposing centers. So a great, great matchup for Valanciunas to be able to get back. And with the Pelicans actually slated to win, it means that at least Vegas is thinking that uh, they're going to get some of that offense coming through, which is going to be through Valanciunas and through Devontae Graham, who I just don't like in general taking, but you can't deny the fact that with everything else out there, he is going to be required to get his offense going. Put up 40 DK points in the last game, though his price tag has taken a pretty significant jump from that 4,300 that it was beforehand. So definitely something to keep in mind. 
It takes away that little bit of uh, shine from the value in the price tag, but he's absolutely in a great spot to be able to yet again drop anywhere between that 30 to 40 DK points there, which gives him a pretty solid floor, a pretty decent ceiling, just a good spot to be able to look at as far as they are concerned. For the rest of these guys, we've seen Trey Murphy go ahead and get a great minutes total in the last game over there, 28, to get up to 49 DK points in that one. Now, I don't necessarily expect him to replicate the fact that he hit 7 of 12 from downtown alongside 9 rebounds, but as a small forward, which always is a spot where I'm looking to see where I can save that little bit of money, see where I can get myself a little bit more of the rest of the you know, spend up guys involved. He's definitely going to be in play for me. And same situation is going to be with Najee Marshall as well. Just it's at 5,000 there, 4,600 for Najee Marshall. Got 29 minutes in the last game. It's clear he's uh, going to be getting his minutes with everyone else out there. He is starting. Got 28 minutes in the last one, 14, 4, and 7, pretty much split ball handling duties, kind of three ways. It was funny, because between Herb Jones, Devontae Graham, Najee Marshall, they pretty much took turns in terms of being the point guard for a good bit of the possessions, and the assist total showed that as well. So all those guys, as far as the Pelicans are concerned, with all these injuries, are absolutely in play. Herb Jones... A little less so for 5,600 just because we know he's not as offensively adept. He's more of the fact of uh, a Swiss Army guy that can get everything else there. 5,600 probably is a pretty safe bet for him to be able to get to somewhere near 5x, but there's just not as much upside beyond that. So if there's one to avoid from all of that, that would be my pick. Moving on to the final game of the night, we have the Los Angeles Lakers going into Phoenix to take on the Phoenix Suns, a game total of 230 with the Phoenix Suns slated to win by eight and a half, which is interesting in that sense. As far as the Los Angeles Lakers are concerned, their injury report, LeBron James is listed as questionable. And as much as I would say he's pretty much played every questionable game, that is the case. He has missed his odd game here and there with that, but hasn't stopped him from being just an absolute monster. And at 11,800, he's coming on three straight games where he's had 70 and above as far as DK points are concerned. So he's just going to keep doing everything on his end to not only get the stats, but also to try to get the Lakers every last win that they could potentially get. And really, there's no one else on the Lakers that I've found myself consistently trusting other than Malik Monk, who is also listed once again, probable for this game which means he's likely going to see himself on the floor. And at 5,800, that's been the other guy that I've taken relatively consistently alongside LeBron James over here. Do you think his shot totals are pretty well secure? He's been sitting at anywhere between 12 to 15. In most of these games, if he has a good night, he can get himself up into the 20s as far as shot attempts are concerned as well. So just a lot to like there for a price tag that's in that 5,000 range. Between him and Jalen Green, I'd probably lean Jalen Green. But it's still a great spot to be able to take them. And frankly, you could probably take them both given the fact that you're not looking to spend too, too much on a number of these studs other than LeBron James. That's really going to be where I'd be focusing on my stud money. And then we spoke about Trey Young earlier as well. Beyond that, just avoid the other ones there and see if you can save a little bit of money with these mid-tier options that are available for you. Moving on to the Phoenix side, though, this is where things do continue to get a little bit interesting. We, uh, with as far as the injury is concerned, Chris Paul is out, Cameron Johnson continues to be out, Frank Kaminsky is out, as is Abdul Nader and Dario Saric, which means that the 
regular rotation of that starting lineup that the Phoenix Suns have had for the last little while now continues to be in play. And they're all very much appropriately priced here, which is really what you'd expect from a, a team that's leading the West, has obviously got their consistency in mark, in play. Cameron Payne, who has now gotten himself all the way up to 7,400, as much as he's been great, don't get me wrong, he's been nothing below 36 for the last five games there. I just don't like that price tag. 7,400 is just a bit too high for what I am hoping to be able to pay for a Cameron Payne. It's just not the kind of situation I like to be able to take him in. I do think against this Lakers and Phoenix game, he could find himself in a pretty good spot to get back over there as well, just because the Lakers are terrible defensively in general, and especially terrible when it comes to defending opposing point guards. So wouldn't fault you for involving Cameron Payne in your lineups. I just think that at most he could get 5x over here, maybe a little bit over that. It's just not an exciting spot for me to be able to take him. And I would rather, if I'm taking someone from Phoenix, look into a DeAndre Ayton instead. At 7,200, He's had two great games against the Lakers, hasn't even needed to play 30 minutes in those ones. But the fact that he has gotten himself now consistently above that 30-minute mark gives him that little bit more room to be able to grow as far as his DFS points are concerned. Has averaged 38 in the two matchups against the Lakers here. And the Lakers, as we know, their front court is just absolutely bashed. With no Anthony Davis over there, they have really no one other than Dwight Howard to go ahead and throw out there to try and hang with someone like a DeAndre Ayton, and that's just not going to happen. It's bad news as far as the Lakers are concerned, and I do expect DeAndre Ayton to go ahead and take advantage of this matchup to be able to go ahead and rack up his DFS points, because really that's the major exposure I'm looking here. Devin Booker at 9,200 is always going to be in play, just because Point Booker with his usage is always going to have the capability to be able to drop 50 so 100% in play. It's just I would rather spend that money, as I said, on a Trey Young for 900 more, get him in for 10,100. If I'm looking to get exposure in this matchup, LeBron on the other side is going to do everything on his end to try and keep this game competitive. And really on the Phoenix side, it's DeAndre Ayton as my major point of concern that I am looking at to be able to go ahead and rack up the points. But that is everything. Three games in the afternoon slate, four games in the evening slate to give us seven games altogether. And now we just move on to our Thrive Fantasy side of things. And the Thrive Fantasy slate is focusing on the evening games over here. And I think there's a couple of spots where I do have a little bit of interest. I feel like I'm almost on brand here. Just sticking with Jalen Green, 17 and a half points to be able to get you over on 110 points as far as Thrive Fantasy is concerned. Definitely a spot that I'm interested in would be looking at that over. And the other one would be the Devin Booker one for as much as I just spoke about uh, his capability to be able to drop a big night. His points, rebounds, and assists is sitting at 35 and a half, which I do think he will get over just given the fact that Everything, as far as that stat line is concerned, is going to be there. He might not get too, too far over that. I'm going to say he hits about 38, 39 as far as the points, rebounds, and assists are concerned. But again, more than enough to get you that juicy 100. But that is it as far as our Sunday slate is concerned. And you, as always, can follow me on Twitter at H-A-K underscore devil to be able to tell me exactly how your lineups went. I expect this to be a pretty exciting slate. And overall, 
just to be an exciting day of real basketball to be able to watch. So just continue to do that. Continue to give us five stars, rate and review anywhere that you go ahead and listen to us on your podcast. But until then, we're going to be back here for the Monday Slate with myself and Mike. And until then, let's go ahead and kill some of these tournaments. Tournaments.